Section 3 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, January 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Cotter, MyrtleTranslations.com. Russia in Europe by the Honorable Gardiner G. Hubbard, LLD president of the national geographic society government the diversity of races and languages was formerly much greater than at present when each tribe had its own laws religion and customs more or less barbarous but in all the paternal form of government the head of the family and chief of the tribe had absolute power over the family and tribe the czar alike absolute power over all the tribes the Tsar is the head of the government, and the peasants believe him to be appointed by God to be their father and ruler. A republican form of government once existed in Novgorod the Great and also at Pskov, but these republics, after enduring one or two hundred years, were attacked by wandering tribes from the Orient and by armed bands from Germany, Sweden, and Poland for the purpose of repelling these invasions these cities were forced to unite with various tribes of russia and form a strong imperial government under a czar peter the great organized municipal governments for towns and cities after the model of the german free cities but these institutions having no root in the traditions and habits of the people it has been impossible to maintain them or to interest the people in them for many generations there has been no convocation or assemblage of the people the entire civilization has been asiatic differing greatly from that of the west there was formerly no attempt either at uniformity in the government of the different provinces and nationalities or of symmetry in the administration there were not only territorial peculiarities but different systems in the same territory changes in the laws were frequently made but they were only local the idea of a united russia belongs to tsar ivan kalita who reigned in the middle of the fourteenth century though peter the great was the first to realize the necessity of a uniform and central administration if russia was to become a great nation he tried to bring order out of chaos and to introduce the western civilization among the barbarous and oriental tribes of russia and as there were no persons qualified for official positions schools were formed to train men for office peter the great had untiring zeal perseverance great ability and genius he tried many experiments but frankly admitted their failure and died having overthrown many institutions but without creating a system his successors took up the work and carried it forward each according to his ability and by slow degrees they have created a centralized government with a certain uniformity in its administration there are ranks of nobility but unlike those of western europe the nobles have no political power or right of primogeniture all their children are of equal rank so that nobles are found among the drosky drivers of st petersburg their influence depends solely on wealth and personal character a council and ministers or secretaries for the different departments of government have been established but there is neither uniformity of action between the council and ministers nor between the several members of the council or ministry 
for the purpose of obtaining fuller information and from a greater variety of sources the czar in important matters often appoints committees to examine and report directly to him and advise what action if any shall be taken there is a code of laws full of commentaries with a vast number of orders decrees and statutes issued by the czar at different times and under different circumstances also innumerable circles open and secret general special and local forming a tangled growth so that it is impossible to decide either what the law is or what are the rights of the individual it is difficult for the czar or his ministers to know how far an order has been executed for with a censorship of the press it is impossible for either the people or the ruler to know much of the conduct of affairs russia is divided into eighty-five governments and six territories of different areas and population over each of which is a governor responsible to the czar and a council with a strong centralized administration the power of the governor is nearly as absolute and unlimited in his territory as that of the czar over the whole empire each government is divided into districts the governor appoints officials in the various districts who are responsible to him and these officials appoint police officers in the several villages responsible only to them the salaries of the lower officers are very small and as they are barely sufficient for their support this has led to more or less corruption although in russia as in other countries embezzlement has not been confined to any class or rank this was greatly lessened under the late czar alexander the third in the central government and in the great administrations the mere in great and little russia wherever the slav inhabits the village community called the mere has been persistent and exists to-day in a form not widely different from that which prevailed in ancient aria and all over europe and asia there are one hundred and seven thousand four hundred and ninety-three of these communes in russia all the land is held by the mir owned in common and is divided into three portions arable forest and pasture the homes are all in the village the fields cut into long narrow strips are periodically divided among the families so that each family shall have strips according to its size and numbers there is a redistribution every few years nearly all the women and the greater part of the men are engaged in the cultivation of the land all the affairs and business of the mere are regulated in a council composed of the adult men and of the adult women when heads of a family this village assembly has power to try and punish criminals and can even send them to siberia it is the only government of which the vast majority of russians have any experience or in which they take an interest the peasant governing the world in which he lives does not concern himself with the unseen and far away the mere with the exception of community of property and judicial authority is the counterpart of the new england town meeting the cornerstone of our republican institutions the brightest men leave the commune and go to the cities to work as artisans but they must first obtain permission from the mere return to it when ordered and send a part of their earnings to the village treasury or forfeit all their interest in the communal property and all connection with their ancestral home and kindred the land and property being held in common affords little opportunity for that struggle for wealth and a better and higher life absolutely necessary for progress it is indeed a communistic socialistic system which some even in our day propose to engraft upon our life 
Within 15 or 20 years, the power of the mir has been greatly limited by the establishment of the provincial government, with its police officer, the representative of provincial government, the police having much greater power in his village than formerly. Serfdom Serfdom and slavery, unknown in Russia before the 15th century, originated from several peculiar causes. Prior to the conquest of Russia by the Tartars in the 13th century, the condition of the peasants of Russia and Western Europe was in many respects very dissimilar. Russia never felt the benefits either of Roman law and civilization or of the Roman Catholic Church, neither the influence of large towns with municipal rights and privilege nor of the feudal system. The Teutons had a sturdy independence and asserted their rights, while the most enterprising of the Russians, having a predisposition to a vagrant life, preferred to seek independence by wandering away from their communes, forming Cossack bands. This vagrancy was increased under the Tartar rule, when the present Asiatic dress of sheepskin was adopted and other Asiatic habits acquired. Another marked difference between Eastern and Western Europe, which also led to serfdom, arose from the ownership of the land. In Western Europe, held in comparatively small parcels and divided between the church, the nobles and the people, while in Russia the Tsar, as owner of all the land, gave great tracts to a few families or to religious houses, retaining the remainder. But these gifts were of little value while the peasantry were allowed to roam, wherever and whenever they pleased. Laws were passed to remedy this evil by confining the peasantry to certain parts of the country and subsequently to the estates where they lived. Conscription of the serfs for the army was then introduced. The proprietor was made responsible for the entry of the conscript into the army, and from that arose the obligation of the serf to the master. As the serf could only be profitably employed on the rich black lands around Moscow and Kiev, the number of serfs diminished with the distance from the black zone, while in the extreme north and the steppes of the south it never existed. They either worked three days in the week for their masters, having the rest of the week for themselves, or they gave a corresponding portion of their crops, or else one half of their wages to their masters. It was by slow degrees, subsequent to 1450, that serfdom was established and the serfs became personal property. With this right of property came control of life and limb, and these successive changes, often regulated by laws passed for the relief of the serf, generally resulting in binding his chains tighter. The Act of Emancipation in 1861 liberated 49,486,000 serfs, of whom 23,022,000 belonged to the nobles, 23,138,000 to the state, and 3,326,000 to the departments. A portion of the land owned by the state and of that owned by the nobles and religious houses was by the Act of Emancipation given to the serfs. The government paid the nobles and religious houses sums fixed by arbitration for the lands surrendered by them, while the serfs paid the state for the land given to them by annual payments running over fifty years, secured by the land and also by the other property of the serfs. The last of these payments will not be due until the early part of next century. Even now, 40% of the land is owned by the state. 2% by the imperial family, 33% by the peasantry, and 25% by private owners. End of section 3